Good morning. Well, you know, it's been great this summer. We've had uh, really, uh, I want to thank you for uh, excellent attendance this summer. We've had, uh, you know, I know there are few, uh, probably today is probably more people out today, uh, vacation-wise, than we've had. But all summer we've had great attendance and great support. I'm glad. I really appreciate that. Uh, we're not getting rid of all the lights. We, we're having them redone. So there's a few less lights out there for you than usual. And we're going to improve the lighting. How many of you think that's a good idea? Amen. We're going to improve the lighting. We got to, as you can see the ones that are back there, we've got a different type of bulb in them now. They're going to be dimmable. So it's going to be much easier to control the room, make it a little brighter, a little darker as we, as we need, need it to be. Well, we're ending up series on uh, Ecclesiastes, and uh, contrary to the way it may feel, this is not a guy who started writing a suicide note and then uh, uh, thought better of it as he thought about things. Now, this is a, a rabbinical poem. It's actually a poem. He, he knew where he was going. He was an old man now, an old man who had uh, had everything there was to have. I mean, he was... Uh, he was the rich and famous of his day. He was the richest man, most famous man. He owned all the toys, had all, all the pleasures of life. He had tried everything there was to try. And then he gets to the end of his life, and he says, okay, what really matters? I tried all these things, and they, they made me happy for a while, but they didn't, they, they, they didn't last. The word vanity means transient. You see the word vanity a lot when you read Ecclesiastes. Vanity, all is vanity. What he means is that all is transient. I can't make anything last. And he talks about, if you read earlier in the book, he talks about the sad thing about life is you can work hard, you can work hard to build something, and then uh, a fool takes over and destroys everything that you created. And that is the nature of life. So we're going to conclude the message today with the two greatest decisions you will ever make. The two greatest decisions you will ever make. Now, I want to reframe the whole idea today of commandment keeping. I want to reframe fearing God and commandment keeping because those two things have gotten a bad rap in the world we live in and even in a lot of the church world. Understandably so. I understand why. Um, for one thing, uh, I understand why in the church world, the church has done a pretty bad job of, of, of making up rules for people to keep. We've made, some really, we've made up some really crazy rules for people and told them this is what you have to do. And uh, I mean, I, I grew up in a church that had, I mean, if God had 2,000 commandments, we added an extra 500. Cause we just thought... If that was a good idea to have commandments, we're just gonna we're gonna have some more. <laughs> so we had rules about everything, you know. If it was if it was fun or fattening, it was wrong. Yeah, it was a sin. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember, I, I remember. Can I tell you some of the, the strange rules we had? It's like I don't know if you've ever heard the country of Singapore is a country with all kinds of weird rules. If you can get arrested for not flushing the toilet in a, in a restroom, in a public restroom, you, you throw a piece of paper on the ground, you get fined in, in Singapore. Well, uh, you know, our church is kind of like that. I mean, they had rules. 
I remember we weren't allowed to play organized sports for some reason. That, that makes no sense to me. And uh, My mother rebelled when I was in the seventh grade and let me go play football. I actually sacked the quarterback one time. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I didn't even believe that. Friday night lights, man. That was Pastor Phil. <laughs> well, all kinds of rules, you know. About, uh, I remember the, uh, the, the television was a one-eyed monster. That was that one-eyed monster, that TV. And you, Some of you people are going to stay home on Wednesday night watching TV, and the, Jesus is going to come back, and you're not going anywhere. <laughs> We, we, we never, we, those days we didn't see a rule we didn't like, you know, <laughs> a lot of rules. The poor women really got stuck and they, you know, couldn't, uh, had to wear uh, ankle length dresses and no women couldn't wear slacks in some of the churches I was involved in and all kinds of stuff. So we, we did our part to give rule keeping and commandment keeping a bad reputation. But when we look back in the Bible, fearing God in a biblical sense, not in being terrified of him, but, but the, putting him in the place of highest honor, keeping his, the commandments are actually viewed as life-giving. They're viewed as life-giving commandments. So let's read it, Ecclesiastes. There's so much I'd like to say about this chapter, but we're, we're going to just, I'm just going to discipline myself and try to stay focused. The words of the wise are like goads, verse 11. Their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Eugene Peterson refers to Solomon as the preacher. He writes and says, I often think of the preacher as the garbage collector in the kingdom of God. He goes up and down our alleys and backyards, empties our wastebaskets and attics, and hauls off everything that has accumulated under the supposition that we might need it someday but that is, in fact, worthless. He gets rid of those things in life that may have been once good in themselves. We've paid a lot for them on one whim or another, but they actually divert us from a life of faith in God. Just as we clean our house occasionally and get rid of what doesn't contribute to good living, so we read the preacher occasionally to, house, occasionally to clean our lives of the illusions and sentimentalisms that clutter our days as we follow Christ. You know, there's a popular minimalist movement afoot today, and many of us have, have discovered that less is more. We're, we're discovering that we're not craving more things, but we're craving more space. We're craving more time. We're craving uh, uh, more room to move around. In fact, a study that was just published in the New York Times this past week where it was found that people actually were made happier by spending their money on something that gave them more time than they were on spending their money on something that gave them another possession. They were, they were made happier, for instance, if they ordered takeout food instead of taking the time to cook. 
they were made happier if they hired an Uber car instead of spending all the time, I'm talking about people in the major cities like New York, instead of spending all that time uh, riding the subway and waiting to get on the subway. They were made happier by doing those sort of things, by having uh, taking their clothes to the cleaners instead of ironing them themselves. They were made happier by something that gave them more time and more space in their life. Well, the preacher, I'm talking about Solomon, found out his soul needed to simplify too. That, that just as we're learning today in the minimalist movement, that, that we need to simplify our lives, we need to have less, we need to be, be committed to less things, not join as many things, not have as much clutter in our houses, and all of that. We're discovering how, how freeing and how energizing that is. One of the first things I would say to anybody here today that feels depressed, and I'm not saying this is the cure for all depression at all, or will replace other therapies. But I tell you, one of the first things uh, you should try doing if you're feeling uh, a, a lack of energy and, and, and feeling kind of depressed is go clean, just clean up. Just clean out closets. Just, just minim, minimalize all the things that you have to take care of and you have to clean and you have to wash and you have to care for. Just get rid of some stuff. Well, what about spiritually? What about my soul? Do I need to simplify my soul? Do you need to simplify your soul? What about all the things, all the voices inside your head that are telling you what to do? All the, all the sources that are pressuring you to do this or to do that or to do the other or be this way or be the other way. What if you simplified that and you reduced it to one person, God? What if you reduced all your source of wisdom down to God and he became your source of wisdom and the people that he wants to use in your life. You know, at first glance, you may not like the conclusion of, that Solomon comes to because there's something about the never-ending search for truth that's very, very compelling. And from the moment of conscious thought, we all dislike the word no. But we ought to listen to the man who had all the options he could afford. The man who had everything. We ought to listen to him. The man who had everything and could afford to try anything he wanted to try. There wasn't anything he couldn't try. But from him, Solomon, the verdict came in and the jury announced, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, now, the preacher here especially recommends fearing in God and keeping commandments to the young people, to the very young. And, and there's nothing more counterintuitive to putting those two priorities of fearing God and keeping his commandments at the top of your list. There's nothing more, more, there's nothing more uh, that seems wrong than that, right? Uh, but what if that's how life actually works? What if that's the only way life really works? Is if you listen and follow the wisdom of God. What if life just won't work any other way? No matter how much you want it to work some other way. What if life just won't work any other way? You know, there's actually three great decisions you need to make, but I wanted to narrow it down to two today. And there, there's three. If, if I wanted to visualize life, which I often like to visualize things in terms of a three-legged stool. Because a two-legged stool is not very stable, is it? Two-legged stool is not very stable. 
So I like to visualize things as a three-legged stool because you le usually need a, th a third thing. So if we, another way to say this today, and I'm not going to spend much time on this third one because we already have. We've, we've talked about it all throughout this series. We've talked about this third one. There's really three things that give us a stable and great life and will cause us to live well. One is to love God's word, which is the same thing as loving God. Because he said, uh, even way over there in the, in the end of the New Testament, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So loving God and loving his word are the same thing. And the second thing is live God's word. Live God's word. And the third thing seems like it doesn't fit. Have fun. That's the three things that you need to do to have a really, truly wonderful life. It's love God's word. Live God's word. And go have fun. Have, have as much fun in all the ways that you possibly can, except when it bumps up against God's word. And you'll be surprised how much you can get by with and still follow God's word. You'll be surprised how much fun you can really have without doing things that go against what he asks you to do and don't please him and actually are self-destructive, will get you in trouble because God... God's not going to withhold. The Bible says he won't hold withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. The Bible says that God has given you all the things of this earth to enjoy. If God ever says no to you, it's because he knows that what you're wanting to do is going to hurt you or it's going to hurt somebody that you love. It's going to hurt you or it's going to, or it's going to hurt one of your enemies because he loves your enemies too. It's going to hurt you or another human being. That's the only reason God ever says no to you. Think about your children. Think about how much you really love your children. I love my children so much. I love my grandchildren maybe a little more. <laughs> I, I don't recall, and I'm, I'm just a human, and I'm a faulty human being, but I don't recall very many times that I ever said no because of, for me, that was for my benefit. It was, it was because of their benefit that I would say, no, don't go near that. Don't touch that. Don't, I, I, I don't think you ought to be hanging out with that person. No, you're not going to go there tonight. It's because I love them. If I never said no to them, if I never gave, if I never gave them any directives or any commands, I wouldn't be loving my kids. It's not loving your kids at all. Now, if that's all you do, you're not loving them, but, but that's part of the deal, right? So let's forget the three-legged stool for a minute. Let's go back to the two. If you're sitting here thinking, now that's not going to work for me, Pastor, this fearing God and keeping commandments, I, I just don't think that's going to work for me. Uh, I, I can believe in, believe in God. I'll do that. I'll believe in God. I'll believe in Jesus. I'll believe he was the son of God, but I just don't want to have a conversation about doing what God wants me to do or obeying God. That, in fact, the word obey, isn't that a bad word? Isn't that a nasty word, obey? It sounds nasty, obey. <laughs> I, you know, I want you to know something. I, I, I feel your pain. My first natural fear in life is not the fear of God. And my first inclination to obligation is not to his commandments. And I'm a preacher. <laughs> and I'm, I'm getting old. And my first, act, my first natural fear in life, and my, my first group of fears that I get up and feel every day is, 
not always the fear of God and my first inclination to what I'm obligated to do is not God's commandments. My natural fears are stuff like, and haunts me every day, is fear that people are going to reject me. I, I worry about that sometimes. That people aren't going to like me. They're, they're, going, to, they're, not, they're going to reject me. I, I fear that I will fail at something. Every Sunday, every Sunday when I get up to preach, I really fear that I'm going to fail. And I feel, I feel that right now, right this second, right this second, I'm worried that I'm going to fail in the next 20 minutes. And it's just going to, you're just going to walk in here. That was just a terrible sermon. That was just one of the worst sermons I've ever heard. You know, I, I have that fear that this is going to be a bad sermon. And uh, you, you probably heard about the guy who, who, uh, who, who kind of maybe was a little challenged mentally and he he got in the line at the end of the service like they used to do, and, and, and he goes by the guest preacher that day and says, that was the worst sermon I ever heard. And he, he goes back out into the crowd and comes back again and says, I just want to make sure you know that was the worst sermon I ever heard. And the pastor is hearing this, and he goes to the guest speaker and said, don't pay any attention to that man. He just repeats what he hears everybody else say. <laughs> So I fear failure. I fear failure really big time. So pray for me right now, okay? Just, just pretend you like it. I also fear death. I, I, I fear being uncomfortable. I fear that I want to enjoy myself. And I fear injury that would lead to death. I mean, uh, Elise is having to get her driving hours in. So that, that fear has been... <laughs> No, no, no. She does, she does a great job, really. But a couple, just a couple times, I thought about. I saw my life flash before me. It's a good thing I'm consistent with my quiet time. That's that's the, my salvation. Is that I have a quiet time because it's it's my my second step after adoration. I use uh, ACTS as, as my acronym for my devotions every day. And my, after I spend time adoring God, my second step is confession. And I'm just, I'm glad I put that there because it's there I remember, oh yeah, God, I wasn't nice to Sherry yesterday. I, I was irritable. Or God, I've been letting my fear of people dominate me way too much. Or God, forgive me of thinking those impure thoughts. So, what, so what's your point, Pastor? My point is, my point is, I have to really work at thinking about pleasing God. It's not the first thing on my mind. I have to have this prayer time every day to remind me, oh yeah, oh yeah, God, oh Him, the one who created me, the one who knows how I work best, the one who created the universe. So, so naturally, not keeping God's commandments is a postscript in my life too. At the, it's, the, it's at the end of my cycle of decision-making God isn't always my first consideration. I'm ashamed to admit that, but he's not always my first consideration. Gary Paxton, who gave us the great song Monster Mash many years ago, and you remember that, also gave us a beautiful, beautiful song that said he was there all the time. He was there all the time, waiting patiently in line. He was there all the time. Yes, I'm like a lot of you, or some of you anyway. God has to wait in line for me to remember him and me to remember that he has more wisdom than I do. 
And he has a lot of knowledge and a lot of information. And if I'm smart, I will want to know what he wants me to do. I want to know what he thinks is best. And I'll shut down all these voices. And, you know, Solomon says here in the text that we read, he talked about the weariness of writing many books. And he's warning us. He's warning us that we're going to have this flood of information People telling us what we ought to think and how we ought to behave and what we ought to get, try to get by with and what we ought to not get by with. We were going to have this flood of information. And he's saying, make sure you're able to shut those voices out and narrow your life down to one voice. The voice of your creator, the voice of God, the one who created you, who knows how you're wired, who knows how you work best. Don't wait on another study that's going to come out that every week. They're going to do another study that's going to tell you what you ought to do and what you ought, what you ought not to do. The Supreme Court is going to come out with all kinds of new decisions and federal courts and local courts and all kinds of things and politicians and, 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 and every these days, every artist, everybody who records a song and makes a hit, suddenly they're moral authorities on what I should do and not do with my life. Solomon's saying, shut them all out and find out what your creator has to say. Find out what he has to say. Go get the owner's manual for life. One of the most haunting passages in the Bible is Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. So let's talk about this morning. Let's move to talk about why fearing God and keeping his commandments is logical. What is the experience of fearing God and keeping his commandments? Number two and number three, how would it impact our lives if we would fear God and keep his commandments? Let's talk about why it's logical. Why it's logical to fear God and keep his commandments. I played golf with a pastor one time who was visiting this area. We went over to Blissful Meadows and played golf one day. And he's telling me a story about showing up at a golf tournament and they put a guy in his foursome that day who showed, walks up to the, you know, the first tee with these horrible looking golf clubs and a beat up bag and everything. He's thinking, oh, sh- darn it. We, we want to win. <laughs> we want to win today. And, and we got this guy with, you know, obviously a terrible golfer. Look at his, look at his equipment. And of course, you, you're ahead of me already. You know what happened. The guy was phenomenal. It, it turned out he was, um, he was whatever they call like like a college all-star golfer. And he was just an incredible golfer. And so he finally says to the guys after a few holes, he said, imagine how good you could play if you had good equipment. And the guy says, well, let me tell you why I don't have good equipment. He said, I would, used to go to my father when I started playing golf and I would say, Dad, I want some new golf clubs. And Dad would hand me a few dollars, not enough to buy clubs, he would hand me a few dollars and he would say, go take a lesson. So he said, for my whole life, instead of buying new clubs, because, you know, I'm looking at some of my golfer buddies out there, and we, we know, we all think there's a club out there that we can buy that will straighten out our golf, golf drive or whatever. Well, there's a club that will put it on the green, and we're always disappointed at that. You know, it never, it never works out like that. That guy was smart. He knew that the key 
to success was not possessions, but the key to success, he learned the key to success was knowledge, information, instructions. It, isn't, that, isn't it crazy that we'll go get instructions for our golf game and we'll go find a pro for our golf game, but we won't go get instructions for our life. We won't go to the source of information. Back in, back in uh, 1937, there was a uh, journalist named Herbert Jacobs, his wife Catherine. I believe they were in Milwaukee, somewhere in Wisconsin. And he had done a short story on the architect, Frank Lloyd Wright. Frank Lloyd Wright was arguably the best architect to ever live. Most of the modern architecture you see today was based on the work of Frank Lloyd Wright. And Frank Lloyd Wright had a place in Wisconsin uh, and an internship program there. So he went and did a story. Got, he spent 10 minutes with Frank Lloyd Wright. Frank Lloyd Wright kind of blew him off, went on and made him talk to the interns. But he did the story. He did the story. Well, a couple years later, he moved to Madison, Wisconsin, which was close to Frank Lloyd Wright's uh, school. And he wanted to buy a house. And he and his wife just couldn't find anything they could afford, that they liked, that they could afford. And a friend says, why don't you go get Frank Lloyd Wright to design you a house? And instead of, like, I would have said, that's crazy. This guy who's done all this phenomenal architecture, you can drive all over the world and see what he's done. New York City, Washington, D.C., Pennsylvania, has the, what do they call it, falling waters or something like that. Just incredible stuff. Stuff that costs gazillions of dollars. And he says to his wife, Catherine, he says, you know what? I'm going to go ask Frank Lloyd Wright if he would like to design a $5,000 house. And somehow he got appointment with Frank Lloyd Wright, and he looks him in the eye and said, Mr. Wright, how would you like to design a $5,000 house? And you know what he said? He said, I've always wanted to do that, but no one ever asked me. And I want to show you a picture. I, I, this is the house that he designed. It's still there today. That in 1937 was worth was $5,000. A lot more than that. Isn't that a beautiful house? Notice it was the first house ever to have open floor plan, the first house ever to have track lighting, and many, many other, first house ever to have a carport, as far as we know, because in order to save costs, instead of building a garage, you build a carport. And this is actually the back of a house, because he, Frank Lloyd Wright, his philosophy was who cares about curb appeal? You don't care about what the public thinks. You care about what you get to live with. So he put the beauty in the back of the house. That was his philosophy. Now, why did I tell you that story? I tell you that story because that reporter, that journalist on a small salary, was able to have a house that you could only dream of. This, this started a whole movement, by the way, this house. And they built these houses all over the country. This reporter, though, went to the greatest architect in the world and said, design me a house. I will build my house the way you design it. What kind of idiot wouldn't want the greatest architect in the world to design their house? Especially for the $5,000 house. 
Well, what about having the architect of the world design your life? What can I, can I use it? Sherry, do we still get fined for using words like stupid and idiot? Do you still, we, the school used to fine you if you said the word stupid or idiot. But now that we have a new president, I think we can say those things. So I'm going to say it. What kind of idiot would want God, the creator, the creator of everything, to design their, their stinking life? Amen. I just baptized the whole front row. Why wouldn't you want God? Why would you think, I know what's best. I know what to do with relationships. I know what to do about money. I know what to do about leisure. I know what to do about worship. Why would you ever think that you know more than God? You say, well, I don't believe God exists. Hey, that's a different discussion. That's a different discussion. If you don't think he exists, that's a different discussion. I'd like to talk to you, but right now I'm talking to you people who believe he exists. I'm talking to you people in this room who are convinced there's a God. I'm talking to you people who are convinced that he created the world, that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, to save you from your commandment-breaking life that we all live. I'm talking to you who really, really believe. Why don't you let him design your life? Why don't you love his commandments? Why don't you fear him? That's who I'm talking to today. You know, there are 16, 630, 13 commandments in the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. There's 1,050 commandments and clear directives in the New Testament. Now, this doesn't include all the commandments that are in the books of wisdom, the books of Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, nor does it include all the wisdom and commandments that are in the prophets. Now, a lot of the commandments in the Torah, those first five books, a lot of those are just completely eliminated by the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? A lot of those are just completely eliminated by the coming of Jesus Christ. And, and we won't get into what all those are, but you can pretty just use a little common sense and you can look at the cross and you can see that a lot of the commandments that were given in the Torah are not for you today and you, you know, you for instance, you, 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 you weren't allowed to mix wool with linen. I'm going to set you free today. You can just wear all the wool and linen you want. You can just go to town, just make yourself a suit out of wool and linen, okay? A lot of commandments in the Torah were related to running a civil government. You're not running a civil government, and so you don't need to think about them. But 20 and 20th and 21st Christians have made a tragic mistake when it comes to commandments keeping because they have thought that keeping any commandments is the same as keeping the law, which we know we're liberated from in Jesus Christ. But fearing God and commandment keeping is not the same as keeping the law. The law is an impersonal system of civil government and forced control by God and his representatives. Fearing God and commandment keeping is simply a logical choice based on the belief that God is superior in knowledge and wisdom and love. The preacher here refers to the one we are to fear and obey as our shepherd. See, I can show you places where his father David and Solomon were already 
understood what life would be like under the new covenant. Fearing God and keeping his commandments is a logical choice based on the belief that God is wisdom and God is love. The preacher here refers to the one we're to fear and obey as our shepherd, not our judge, our shepherd. The natural consequences of disobedience to God are not the same as the curses of the law. The consequences of disobeying God are still, still going to happen to you. But you're not going to be subjected because of Jesus. You will not be subjected to the curses of the law. Now, the launching of our mission, in fact, to spread good news goes like this. Making disciples of all the nations. You know what a disciple is? It's a learner under training. It's someone who's learning, who sits at God's feet and learns how to do life. Make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to do all the things I have commanded them to do. The commandments are giving me life. Thank you, God, for giving me commandments. Thank you for giving me instructions. Thank you for teaching me how to forgive people. Thank you for teaching me how to handle relationships. Thank you for teaching me how to be generous. Thank you for teaching me how to be merciful. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for instructing me. In fact, you put the Holy Spirit in my heart to give me constant instructing and nudging and moving. And so what I want to do, I don't want to have a a commandment phobia. I want to say, oh, God, tell me what to do. I don't know what to do right now. Tell me what to do. And the Bible says, if we ask for wisdom, he won't make you feel guilty. He doesn't curse you. Oh, you don't know what to do. The Bible says, if you ask for wisdom, he gives it liberally (laughs) and doesn't make us ashamed that we didn't know what to do. Amen. Solomon wrote in a letter to his son, for they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. That's what we're talking about today. Let's go to the second point. What is the experience of fearing God and keeping his commandments? What's it like? Ecclesiastes 12 and 11 explains there's a wise shepherd from whom originates collected words of wisdom. The nature of these collected words of wisdom is that they are like goads. So I want to give you a little bit of bad news here, okay? A little bit of bad news before it gets better. The experience of fearing God and keeping his commandments will be uncomfortable. It's a goad. We all know what a goad is. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like, like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Psalms 23, 4 says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The sheep's about to go off a cliff and he prods them to get them back on track. The rod was a tool to prod us to stop us from going the wrong direction. But the sheep were so dependent and trusting of the shepherd, they reacted to the prodding, to the discomfort by obeying. How many of you you have been walking with the Lord? You're a serious follower of Christ, and you know what it is when the Holy Spirit makes you uncomfortable. Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit makes you uncomfortable. (laughs) You're trying to stay bitter at somebody, the Holy Spirit starts doing that. Right? You're going to get offended. Stay offended, the Holy Spirit starts doing that. You're you're going places on the internet that "Ah, you shouldn't be going, and the Holy Spirit starts doing that, right? Because he's He's keeping you out of the ditch. He's not hating you, He's keeping you out of the ditch. So that rod was a tool, brought a little discomfort. The, the another thing you will have happen is the, your mind will say no, but your spirit will say yes. 
Your mind will say no, but your spirit will say yes. Zechariah 12, 1 says, This is the word of the Lord concerning Israel. The Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundations of the earth, and who forms the spirit of man within him declares, God has given you a spirit. Yeah, he's given you a mind. He wants you to use it. He doesn't want you to kiss your brain goodbye. But he's also given you a spirit. And that's where your conscience lives. Your conscience doesn't live in your brain. It lives in your spirit. And your conscience lives in your spirit. And the Holy Spirit will just, you'll just feel that little pride once in a while in your spirit. And your mind will say, yeah, I ought to do this. I ought to go there. I ought to say this. But your spirit will say, no. You're a dichotomy. You are two people. You are the flesh and you are the spirit. Always follow the spirit. Now, you're not always going to do it. That's why we have Jesus dying on the cross, so he can forgive us when we don't. If you were under the curse of the law, we'd have to take you out and stone you, and we have about zero people in this auditorium right now. Including, there wouldn't be any up, I wouldn't be up here preaching, I guarantee you. I can't even tell you another thing about obeying God is a lot of your decisions won't work without God. <laughs> the couple, they're, in fact, they're sitting here now, and I won't call their names since I didn't call them and ask them if I could share this. But I happen to know what happened one Sunday morning. They're sitting in the service. And the husband had already started coming to church long, quite a few months before the wife came, and then the wife came with the husband. And she heard, I, believe, I don't know if it was Stevie G or whoever got up here and talked about tithing, giving God a tenth, you know, from the scripture. It's, it's biblical. It's one of the commands of God. And the wife turns to the husband and asks, when tithing got mentioned with this platform, and she asked the question, are we doing that? And the husband said, no. And the wife said, well, why not? That, see, that's what a person who fears God in a proper way, the proper fear of God. God said to do it. Why are we doing it? I, I opened my brother's Bible. My brother first came to Christ. I opened his Bible one day, and on the flyleaf of the cover was, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Is that, is that your philosophy? I hope so, because that's the way to live well. The way to live well is you live by the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Fall in love with the book, man. Fall in love with the book. Get the book into your spirit. Get the book in your mind. Get the book in your soul. It's, it's more important than any of the news stuff you watch, any of the sports stuff you watch, anything else you read. Get the book into you. Get the Bible into your heart and your life. There's a great life waiting on you who will follow God. Amen? How would it impact our lives if we would fear God and keep his commandments? Well, I love the commercial, uh, gentlemen's warehouse commercial, men's warehouse, they call it now. I love that commercial. I just want to show you that. You're going to like the way you look, I guarantee you. <laughs> if you will do, if you will begin to, you say, well, there's two, you, you, pastor, there's, there's like at least 1,500 commands. We know a bunch of them are eliminated. But there's like 1,500 things God tells me to do. I can't do all this stuff. Of course not. This is the start of an adventure. This is the start of discovery. Every day you're going to discover something new. But what I'm, going to, what I'm trying to do to you, what I'm trying to get inside your brain and do to you is shift your attitude about it. 
so that you are on an exciting discovery to always discover the will of God. And it's exciting. It's not like, oh, no, don't tell me that because I don't want to know that. If I know that, then I'm going to feel guilty. I don't want to know that. Instead of that, you're going to, oh, thank you. You remember, the, you remember the high karate commercial? Some of you are old enough to remember the high karate commercial. Thanks. I needed that, you know. That's what's going to happen to you. Let me give you some things that will happen to you, I will promise you, if you will become a person who loves God's directives. You don't like the word commandment? Give it a different word. I don't care. Call it directives. Call it wisdom. Okay? Call it wisdom sayings. Call it something else. I don't care what you call it. But we are cheating ourselves and we're falling short of the glory of God. If we don't humble ourselves before God and let this powerful thing called grace, if we don't let that fuel within us a power, a power to live in a way that will just blow the devil away, that will just impact our lives and bless our children and our grandchildren and bless our neighbors and everybody around us and give us a better world. Now here's what I promise you we would have more inner peace. We would have more inner peace. Less mental disturbances. Andrew Mook posted something on Facebook this week. I don't know if it was original with Andrew, but it sure was good. He said, if it breaks God's heart, why do you think it will satisfy yours? That's powerful, isn't it? If it breaks God's heart, why do you think it will satisfy yours? Also, our faith will grow. Our faith will grow. Because God would tell us, God will say do something. God will say give. And you go give when, when really in the natural, we've got enough, I can afford to give. But God just told me to. I'm going to go give. And then you see, Steve G talked about it this morning, how God supplied his needs. Then God comes through because what? Because the commandments of God only work if there's a God. They don't work if there's not a God. And so God comes through and your faith gets bigger. You're able to believe God for more things because you obey God. You obey God even when sometimes it may seem a little bit illogical to obey God. You obey him anyway and it works out like it always will. And then God is glorified and your faith grows. Also, you will get humble because you'll find out how difficult it is sometimes and you'll have to cry out to God for help. And that's kind of why he told you to do some things because he knows you can't do it in your own strength. And he wants you to cry to him for help. And you would be free. We would be free. You, you know what? We got this. You, if you don't obey the commandments of God, you're going to obey somebody's. If you don't obey God, you're going to obey somebody. Some of you have a commander inside your head. I have one. I have a commander inside my head who tries to order me around all day long. And the commandments of God are the counter-terrorist to the terrorist that lives in my head, telling me not to love, telling me to stay hurt, telling me to be selfish, telling me to, re to rebel. The counter-terrorist in my head is the commandments of God. That's why when Satan was tempted, tempted Jesus, Jesus three times said, it is written. 
he defeated the enemy with the commandments of God. You ever notice that? I'm telling you, this is, this is good stuff. Jesus defeated the temptations of Satan with the commandments of God. You're telling me to do this, but let me tell you what God told me to do. And Satan had to leave him alone because he realized that Jesus had a boss and the boss was the creator of the universe. And then finally, we will get more out of church in Christian community. See, if church is mostly a consumer experience, it will not make sense when you don't enjoy something that other Christians are doing to you or for you. If you don't like the music or the preaching, it won't make sense. I have no problem with church being a consumer experience up to a point. But when it is the point and the whole point, eventually church will stop making sense because the investment will be greater than the payoff. See, with technology, you already don't need to go to a building to experience good sermons and good music. You can, and you can get food and fellowship in a lot of places. What you can't get anywhere else but church is a community that together helps us understand and live out the wisdom of God. I said, let me say it again. The only thing that you can't get anywhere else but a Christian community called a church is that we together understand and live out the wisdom of God. That's what you can't get anywhere else. And so church will start to mean more to you if it's a place where you're going to go, if it becomes your spiritual think tank where together we, we strive to understand and explore the wonder and the wisdom of our Creator. Fear God, keep His commandments. is the whole duty of man. You say, well, what about believing in Jesus? Well, that's one of His commandments, is to believe in Jesus, to trust Jesus with all your heart. Ask Him to forgive you of all of your sins. Let him take responsibility for your eternal salvation. That's one of, that's, that's his number one commandment. So today in the service, we're not going to invite you forward because we're going into connection time. But I want to say a prayer and maybe you haven't obeyed the command to believe in Jesus. And that's the command that trumps all other commands. That's the commandment that we have to all start with and we have to end with it. Every day I have to return to believing in Jesus with all of my heart. So I'm going to pray a quick prayer. and I'm just going to actually pray the prayer that you might want to pray. So you can just repeat after me or just listen and say yes to what I say. Here we go. Father, I confess that I am a sinner. I confess that your commandments show me right away that I am not capable of of always keeping up with what is best for me or best for others or what is best for your kingdom. But you provided a savior, you provided a lamb, you provided a shepherd of my soul. And I can put the weight of my life on him. And although I will strive and I will work and I will do my best, God, I will, I will fall short of your glory. But you rescue me and save me from myself all of the time. So God, I want to commit myself completely to you. I want to accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. And I want to become a serious Christ follower. 
And I want to learn how to pursue doing life your way. I want to do what Apostle Paul said in Ephesians where he says, find out what pleases the Lord. I'm going to find out what pleases you. And I'm going to enjoy life. In my life, God, I just have faith today. My life's going to be better. I'm going to live well because I'm going to love your word, live your word. And by your help, I'm going to have fun. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Brandy, you want to come and uh, why don't you guys close us with a song? Let's see you're ready. Let's do it. And uh, somebody, uh, Brandy, come and give us some direction when they're done with the song. God bless you. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.